welcome to Fireside Friends. This is episode 35. I'm Ryan Prasad, and with me is my co-host, Alan Ibrahim. I'm Mr. Jackpots. And I'm Richard. <laughs> How are Hello. you? Hello. We have Linda also? <laughs> no. Linda couldn't make it today. <laughs> she died. Stop it. <laughs> we're not making another Taylor Swift joke. <laughs> did we do that last time? I think we, we did. We did that once. We're not doing it again. Okay, I'm sorry. How are you, Alan? I'm doing extremely well. Uh, how about you? I'm all right. I got I ate a b- big bowl of ice cream before I came up to record this, so I'm doing a-okay. Ice cream is good. It is good. We are Fireside Friends. We are a... I keep I keep going to say pop culture podcast, but it's not really. We just talk about shit. We talk about whatever we want each episode, and we're because we're very we don't care. With last episode we talked about a video game. This episode we're going to talk about a TV show. I don't know what we're doing here anymore. Um, but yeah, we have a guest this episode. M is joining us from Abnormal Mapping. Ham. Hey, Hi. Hello. I don't have a cute name or anything. I was thinking of one, and then you waited too long to introduce me, and now I've since forgotten what I could have used. <laughs> okay, that's not on me, though. I'm probably a tulpa, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great it's a great way to start a podcast. It's just a bunch of references that people probably wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. Look, it's really inviting. If, you don't, it. Yeah. if they don't understand these references, they need to pull out now. Do not listen to this podcast. <laughs> Yes, uh, we are going to be talking about Twin Peaks The Return, which is the new season, new series, a limited event series is what they call it, uh, of Twin Peaks. Uh, so if you haven't finished that, you should do it because it's really good. Uh, and also because we're going to spoil all of it. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be what we're going to be talking about for the next hour or so. Uh, do you all want to just jump right into it? Talk about some Twin Peaks? Yes. a lot we could talk about here um but first i want to get everybody's just general feelings on the whole season um m do you want to go first what do you think of the season as a whole now that we've had a few days to sort of think about it and mull over everything that we saw so um the thing that i think is really interesting about the return as a thing is so much of the remakes or whatever you want to call them like not remakes but like when you bring back old pop culture show for another season that nobody really needed but fans were like yeah we'll pay for that um which happens a lot these days uh i feel like they always ride on a deep sense of fan service um and like a continuation and bringing things around and if they showed it and get closure it gets closure whatever um 
to me, what is so remarkable about Twin Peaks, the season three, is the ways in which it totally blows up everything you know about Twin Peaks, um, but also serves as a look back into that world, but also never lets go of the fundamental incompatibility of like understanding that Twin Peaks has been defined by from the very beginning. Uh, as a show defined by mystery that ended the first time in mystery continues on into mystery forever. And I really appreciate that. I think there's uh, a great respect for someone who is willing to take Twin Peaks on its own terms in this show. Uh, And that to me has been remarkable. Yeah. It's really interesting because you brought up the whole like reboot thing. And I feel like Twin Peaks has been one of the only ones so far has that's like it it has its nostalgic points but it for the most part is more interested in kind of it doesn't pander to nostalgia it like lets you sit with it and like think about it and think about like what is worth being nostalgic for which i thought was really interesting and probably what i expected but like in the way not in the ways that they like execute on that stuff um so what about you, Alan? It definitely makes you think about what it is about Twin Peaks that attracted so many people uh, several years ago. It's like the things that people talk about in pop culture as what is Twin Peaks, you know, detectives, coffee, donuts, Red Room, etc. Those are things that the show has and, and the return has, but it doesn't show them like like I was saying for fan service. A lot of I know a lot of talk online early on was like, when is Cooper going to drink a coffee and talk about how good it is? And, like, the first time we actually see Kyle McLaughlin drinking a coffee is when he's, like, in the body of another person who isn't actually him. And it's, like, modern coffee. And there's no, there's, like, they don't want, they don't want to give you the, the, the pandering fan service that you expected. But they are giving you the vibe and the tone and the mystery, like you said, of what original Twin Peaks was. And I think that is what's important about making a new 2017 Twin Peaks is keeping that sense of confusion and mystery and discussion uh, which the show provided in spades week to week, like consistently. I don't think there was a single bad episode. I think there is. <gasps> which one? Uh, episode 10 is all the Richard Horn stuff uh, and like Becky getting abused by his boyfriend. I don't like that. It's not that I don't like watching that stuff, but it just all fell concentrated onto one episode. And by the end of the season, uh, it didn't feel like it had enough like it didn't feel like there was much of a point or it didn't like hit on the themes I wanted it to hit on that I think the finale like I think it really does a poor job of its depiction of abuse victims up until the finale which is a little ridiculous for me but it's my least favorite episode <laughs> my least favorite episode for a while was episode 8 uh, because I struggled with it so what? much. I, well, hang okay. on. I am shaking my head into this microphone as loud as possible. <laughs> Audible shaking. No, because I, I, I love. That's the another episode where I'm like, I love what you're doing here. None of it is tracking with me. But as with so much good television, as soon as I like sat with it and read about it and watched parts of it again, it it built and built and built until it. I fell in love with it. But like in the moment, I was just like, I'm seeing nothing. Nothing in this episode is making any sense to me. There's a bomb going off, and then snot comes out of an invisible lady's nose, and then Bob is in the snot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real thing. Uh, 
But I love that the show... Excuse me. Yes. She's called The Experiment, okay? I'm sorry. You're actually really... You're right. No, you're right. <laughs> I correct my previous statement about The Experiment. The Experimental Unit? Isn't it something like that? It's it's just called The Experiment. experiment. That's also Is that the same thing that uh, in the first episode? Um, which, oh my God. Yes. Yeah. The thing that does the whole TV effect. Yep. I love, again, loved watching that first episode. Being there, minute one watching it with everyone else and we're like okay new twin peaks here we go we're gonna land in the city and or we're gonna land in the town of twin peaks wait a minute we're in new york there's a box there's a man having sex with a lady um i guess we're doing this i guess we're gonna get 18 episodes of this and not what i expected okay like i was on board from that that instant because that scene is so out of left field and and lynchian which is a word that gets thrown around a whole lot that i wanted to I wanted to explore with the two of you, like, how do you think this show, like, what are, whether or not it feels Lynchian and in, in what ways that definition changes? Um, I wanted to offer that I thought the opening episodes of the show were maybe the worst part of this entire series. Mm. <gasps> I'm, I am with you until the episode three. Yeah, yeah. But um, everything about, like, the box and the experiment and New York as, like, a setting and, like, uh you know, in the ways in which Invitation to Love in the original Twin Peaks was like, look at soap operas, look how goofy all this dumb bullshit is. Everything about that opening feels like post lost mystery box television in, <laughs> but like not in like a winking way, just presented insufferably like, oh, you're going to have to wonder about this stupid box and the alien creature that shows up in it to murder teens for 18 episodes. And thank God that is not true because those dead kids do not matter after the point in which they are dead. <laughs> they are there for Gordon Cole to yell, what the hell? And that's kind of it. Yep. That box exists to show you a blurry photo of Bad Coop in front of it. <laughs> and then he, falls uh, out of, he goes out of the socket, but he loses his shoes. Yeah, you <sighs> can't take sh- shoes into a socket, Alan. Come on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, I offer a correction regarding my previous statement regarding sockets and shoes. Um, so I, I liked seeing Cooper in that. I liked being like, oh, this is still Twin Peaks. And I do agree that it's sort of like a post-Lost thing because I like Lost. I'm the weird person who really likes Lost. I, I mean, I haven't seen Lost. I'm just talking about the cavalcade of shows that follow in its wake right. that are like, we're going to tease you a mystery that's never resolved because we don't have anything aside from this question mark. And mm-hmm. so where I think The Return Succeeds is it it gave me all of the satisfaction I wanted out of the mysteries that it did present. Like, I didn't really need to know what's going on with that box. I just thought it was a cool effect and it was a cool, like, vibe to be in that space with those two characters but I was like, I don't think this is going to get answered. This isn't important. But all of the stuff regarding like what Bob is and the fight versus good and evil and the state, the current, uh, like where Cooper is, that is stuff that the show tracked all the way until the very end and concluded in a way that I thought was really effective between episodes 17 and 18 doing it in different ways. Because the show kind of has two finales in a way. Uh, I was telling Ryan about this like the night after it aired. But uh, 17 feels like the ending that you want out of like a traditional like you're gonna answer all the questions and we're gonna beat the bad guy great job and then 18 is this like weird fascinating epilogue about a theme that's been an undercurrent of the show since the original uh that we didn't even have time to think about but now we're gonna kind of stew in it and really and really learn about where cooper was trying to get to throughout the whole series 
Um, so I liked both of those as finales, but I'm like, did you have a, what is the ending of Twin Peaks that you prefer? Is it the ending where you, where they beat Bob and everyone's happy and Cooper walks off? Or is it the ending where Laura Palmer is left screaming into the night sky? So I was worried for sure that we would get an ending like episode 17, where everything is mostly Mm -hmm. explained to some general satisfaction and there is a villain and he is defeated. And the fact that like, British Thunder Fist punches the Bob Ball to death is like it's so good. It is good because it's not the ending. But if it was the ending, it would be the worst thing I was subjected to ever. Yeah, (laughs) because it's it's like a punchline of a joke. It's like not actually like like interesting or fulfilling in any way. And a lot of TV shows definitely like provide you an ending and like tie it all up and like. In many ways, the ending of like Twin Peaks season two before David Lynch goes off into doing the things David Lynch does best is kind of that where Wyndham Earl shows up. And you're like, God, this fucking clown again. And he goes around and he does all the stuff and then eventually he dies. And you're like, thank God he's dead. And then everything falls apart in his own interesting, weird way. Um, and that's basically what happens again is a bo- the Bob ball is punched to death and explodes. And then Cooper's like, well, you, you've all been great. Uh, please hang out in the sheriff's office while I do something else and just falls forever into madness. And I love mm-hmm. that ending that feels so m- like it feels so much a piece with Firewalk with me more than it does the ending of Twin Peaks. Yep. And that's the yep. thing I want. I want the thing that yep. recenters like the tragedy and the horror of everything Twin Peaks is actually about. Uh, I want yep. Cooper to think that he can save the day by pulling Laura Palmer out of time and actually maybe yes. condemning them both to something worse than they already had. Yeah, that was such like I was watching that and I was like really worried like this isn't actually going to happen he's not actually going to like reset the world of twin peaks uh but it's made very clear that like the show like is very much like no this is wrong this cannot happen uh and i was like really because before the finale i had no idea like how much this new series was going to link back to viral walk with me um and then to see it sort of recenter all that stuff and also just like yeah you can't actually fix the past and also you cooper needs to confront all of these like really dark depressing things to stop running away from it uh i thought that was a sad but like necessary note to end on but also like the psychic geography of what twin peaks is that was set up in firewalk with me is very much what season three is built on yeah like i i just meant like in terms of like you know laura palmer is like on the fringes of what's happening and it isn't really clear what role she has in the season beyond being like a glowing ball in a lodge space uh so i was a bit worried and like the whole like lore is the one thing uh had me a little bit worried and to see it all come together the way in the end uh was really nice um excuse me bobby saw her picture in the sheriff's office and burst into tears <laughs> that was a good moment it might incredible. genuinely be one of my favorite moments in the show right well it that seems incredible because it's like it play it's played like exaggerated humor like soap opera humor like it was in the first season but it still really affected me and i was like wow this like, oh, i still feel I, something I, I burst out laughing at it. I thought it was hilarious. It's a great joke. It, so it's 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 James being sad about the dumb song that he recorded with yep. Maddie and Donna. It's like that yep. kind of 
like pap like sentimentality bullshit and david lynch loves making fun of that the thing that sells it is bobby then goes on to just be kind of like an earnest decent human for the rest of the show in really cool ways and you're like oh right you're major briggs's son you can do this yeah you can go to the weird uh tree in the middle of the forest and then have andy get teleported away to the black lodge and hang out with the giant and not the black lodge the, let's yeah. let's use this as a sort of segue to talk about some of our favorite scenes and sequences uh from this new show for me uh the first sort of moment where i'm like yes david lynch has full control of this project is like the beginning of episode three in that purple room and the way it's edited to make it look uh like it's almost like it's scrubbing through like a video file or something or like a stop motion video. It was that moment is so cool. And I I like rewatched that sequence like multiple times cuz it looked so amazing. Uh it's I know a lot of people there was a lot of talk about like some of the effects in this new show are really corny and bad, but I you have to give credit to certain things just like feeling unsettling. Like, the way that things can animate or move or just even, like, the portals above people when they're about to be teleported to the Black Lodge. Like, there's... I think that the stuff that people are calling bad is incredibly intentional. Uh, Yeah, I... Lynch's, Lynch's whole deal is when things need to be realistic, they'll be realistic, but he's not interested in realism for the sake of it. Uh, so much no. of his effects are artificial because the thing he's representing is otherworldly or like wild and extreme and is supposed to be barely comprehended. And so he'll use whatever suits his fancy, and sometimes that's a ridiculous video effect. And I think you just have to be willing to like buy that. I, I think they're lovely, almost universally. Yeah. Sometimes Major Briggs's head just floats in the blue fucking... rose. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the in the final episode, he's just there, like his head is upside down. And he has, says nothing. It's not addressed. It's just there because he's Major. Briggs. It's not upside down. It's just really big. It's huge <laughs> compared to everything else that you're seeing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, of really good effects work. I think my favorite scene is probably just like uh, anything involving the Mitchum brothers. Because they yeah. very quickly for me felt like uh, they belonged in Twin Peaks from the minute they were introduced. Like just they they just worked. Because I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. The season does this thing where it introduces like characters that seem like they're going to be really evil, and then you spend more time with them, and then, and you then you're them. just like these are just like really dumb people that I love. Like it does that with the Metron brothers, and it does that with Hutch and Chantel because they're like Mister C's like partners in crime, and then you realize like Chantel just wants some more Cheetos, like. <laughs> Yeah, she's just miserable at Cheetos, and then Hutch gets devoured by bullets. Um, I mean, the Mitchum brothers—the Mitchum brothers serve the same way that Ben and Jerry Horn did in the original show, where they're mm-hmm. ostensibly your villains, and like, oh, they're going to intersect with the good guys, and they're going to do—they're into shady shit, and they're going to ruin everything. And then, uh, much like Ben Horn, and to a greater degree even the Ben Horn, but like. Ben Horn spends a good chunk of season two thinking he's a civil war general and everyone tries to talk him out of it. And like the artifice of turning the like, uh, like higher level boss tough into a cartoon that is kind of lovable in their lunacy is like condensed into the Mitchum brothers. And they're so good as characters who are mostly just down for whatever, as long as the party is good and they are not inconvenienced too hard. Uh, 
and their interactions with Dougie and Cooper are some of my favorites. Uh, I, the it's thing, so good. The thing that I wanted to state that I think is like generally the most brilliant part of this is everything with Dougie. Like you're given Cooper mm. returning in episode three where he comes out into the real world in Las Vegas and all of a sudden everything is horribly wrong and impossible to understand where Cooper is basically comatose and carried along by the goodwill of people who are just willing to roll with this guy being mute and unresponsive for hours. The majority of the show is just Cooper <laughs> sitting there yep. desperately trying to communicate and repeating what people say as the world happens around him. And it is every Lynch taking someone shuffling through a room joke to like too far to the extreme. <laughs> like it is the, it's the entirety yeah. of the show is your hero yep. <laughs> being trapped, eating cake and dealing with his fake ass life. <laughs> yep. I love it so much. I love all those characters. I love Jane E. I love Bushnell Mullins, yep. who is the yes. fake Gordon Cole after my heart. Uh, <laughs> he is. That's true. Where where Gordon Cole is like 50s FBI Americana, like Bushnell's like like 70s boxing culture as a person. <laughs> <laughs> Turned into a human, yep. yeah. Like, yeah, like Cooper, like Dougie just works at like a madman office that has just continued to be a madman <laughs> office for half a century. Uh, there and there's they even like have actors from Mad Men in this show at some point yeah. just to be like yeah we uh, David Lynch watched Mad Men he knows yep. um I agree with that though I think that my favorite thing about all the Dougie stuff is that uh David Lynch never goes away from writing his characters as earnest as possible like nobody is putting up false pretenses or trying to be cynical or ironic in any way like at every single point where you see Dougie repeat something back at someone. You, the viewer, know they should be like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you talking like that? But no one ever does that. No, no one is ever like, hey, Dougie, you're acting weird. They're just like, all right, Dougie's, I don't know, he's, he's said what I said. Good for him. Like, And he keeps getting promoted and doing better. Like he writes, he draws, shoots in ladders on a paper and then almost get, like becomes like co-manager of the company. Uh, this like relentless decision to never have somebody call out Dougie for, for being strange is just something that I really love about that plot and like... And endlessly, like you said, it just goes for the whole show and never at any point until he's finally released does anyone notice that something is up. Well, the thing with Twin Peaks in general is that the characters who are cynical and do question things and are like snide or undercutting are always the shitty men that litter Twin Peaks's like back alleys and uh, like s dusty side roads. It's the Richard Horn. Chad. It is the Chad fucking Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it is it is those characters that you, you just are detestable and they are extremely detestable in this show where uh, because the show is spending so many plates, I feel like the characters who are built to just be like the, the low key villains are uh, like absolutely the worst. They are like Richard mm -hmm. is so much worse than almost everyone in original Twin Peaks when like Bobby yep. Briggs was a menace, like he was just a shitty teen. He like Richard yep. Horn doesn't get the redemption that shitty teen Bobby Briggs even hadn't seen too, where he's like, now he's like Audrey's lackey and he's just sucking up to her and trying to like have a real job because everything with Shelly fell through. Uh, we, we, Richard doesn't get any of that. He is shitty. He hurts people. And then he blows up in a firework effect and it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> he gets that. He gets that arc he deserves. And then Chad is it Chad is the police officer one, right? Yeah. Yep. Chad, Chad sucks. Yes. He almost shoots Andy. Poor Andy. I would have quit. Come on. I would have bounced. 
at that moment. But then, no, uh, Hulk Fist punches the <laughs> the uh, jail door open and knocks him out, and then he's just taken care of. Um, also, he has a key in his shoe that he didn't use until the, the right time. He just had. Well, a key. He was waiting for the drunk to look away. <laughs> what was with I the don't drunk? know why that's. I don't know why that's relevant. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So I just think everything in that prison scene was really mysterious and interesting. Uh, what what was the whole deal with the drunk? Why did he have like a cut on the side of his mouth, and then he had he took it off again? I don't know. Is he Billy? I assume I assume he's Billy. Like my assumption was always like so much of the Billy thing was that he like was running around. He was weird. He kept uh, he had like he was in he was bleeding from the mouth. Is is said in one of the Roadhouse like mm-hmm. interstitials. Uh, and then he, the way he repeats everything is like Dougie. So you assume he's like a weird, corrupted Tolpa, right? Like that's the only mm-hmm. assumption. But in what ways that matters, I don't know. The final <laughs> dossier of Twin Peaks or whatever comes out this fall. <laughs> yes, the mystery is a Billy. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be A plus trolling on Mark Frost. I 100% that. think that's the kind of stuff that that's going to be about. Are you kidding me? The, I bet. Like, the, Maybe not the whole book, but yes. The secret history of Twin Peaks is about how Dougie, the old guy that was a joke <laughs> character, is secretly yes. the linchpin of the universe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, if the whole book is about Billy, that would be amazing. But it's not. That's not gonna be old. I bet there will be like five pages about Billy. No, I bet. I bet there'll be more than that. I think you might be surprised. <laughs> I'm excited for oh, it. I, I I was really surprised because I haven't read the Secret History of Twin Peaks, but I like read the just the, the synopsis of it. Um, I was surprised that they included stuff like uh um, is it Tammy? What's the character's name? Yeah, we have a question about the book that we can answer at the end. Okay, let's just talk about the return for now. But yeah, okay. So I, I was just really impressed that like, oh, they're they're including everything. There's Firewalk with me stuff. There's books. There's 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 some. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. A little bit later. <laughs> there's uh, there's some great stuff, and then there's some really, really awful things. Some <laughs> really bad stuff. Remember Josie? Yeah. Poor Josie. The way she is treated in that book is like the most contemptible thing Twin Peaks has ever done. Yeah, kind of. I kind of wish the I, sense, uh, You get the sense Mark Frost does not like women very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do get that. I... I the one time we saw okay, Josie. Here's one thing I didn't no, no, no. Here's one thing I wanted to bring up in light of like the ending stuff. Uh, how do you all feel? I know um you posted about this a while ago, but how do you feel about like the treatment of Andy and Lucy in this season? Uh, I think I think it mostly sucks. Uh, okay. I think those characters were so. One of the things I really like, uh, I don't know if either of you have seen the movie Broadcast News. Uh, it's a really good movie. I highly recommend it. It's from the 80s. Um, the thing it, it does is it's the first time that I had seen a movie that has, like, a character that is, like, they're dumb. They're, like, not smart, like, straight up. But that doesn't, de- like, rob them of humanity, and that doesn't make them a punchline. They are just not as smart as the usual fictional character you run across. And I really like Andy and Lucy as characters that are, you know, they're charming and quaint and quirky in the way that all Twin Peaks characters are. And they're kind of dumb, but that doesn't make them, like, the butt of every joke. Uh, and that's including the fact that Andy literally has like a Looney Tunes gag where he hits his face with a board in the original (laughs) Twin Peaks and wobbles around for five minutes. He's still a character with like an interior life and like motivations and has a lot of sympathy tied to him. And I feel like Andy and Lucy in this season have mostly just been that jokey version without any of that humanity there. And Mm -hmm. kind of is outside of characters 
who are dealing with the idea of like death and sickness, which I think is like an interesting undercurrent to all of Twin Peaks season three stuff where like every character is taking care of a sick person or is a sick person or is in communication with one. Um, uh, Those characters don't like everything is a little meaner and like a little bleaker. And I think that just comes with where we are as a people probably comes with David Lynch being a much older person at this point. Um, you know, it's all over the place, I guess. It comes with maybe being on Showtime. Like, there's stuff in Twin Peaks that wouldn't be in the original run because it wouldn't have made air uh, based on what TV standards are. Um, mm-hmm. And I think all of that is taken in consideration, but I think Annie and Lucy suffer more than almost any character from the original Twin Peaks uh, in that show. Uh, I can't think of anyone who I automatically am like, man, they are poorly treated more than those two. Right. Though, right. they do have maybe the most beautiful baby boy in the entire world. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Thank you. That's what I was yeah. hoping we were going to talk about next. <laughs> I always <laughs> forgot about it because everything. it literally exists to be beautiful for five minutes and then disappear into the <laughs> night. <laughs> and again, no irony, no referencing like, hey, that's Michael Sarah. That's TV's Michael Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> nope. It's Wally Brando. <laughs> he just is so pure and... Again, like unabashedly confident and happy, and he has like nice things to say about the world, and his parents raised him well, and that's that's Wally Brando in a nutshell. And yep. He's gonna go ride off on his motorcycle with his weird yeah. accent, and like them being proud of him as he delivers his monologue might actually yes. be the best treatment of those two in that entire show, and that's nothing. That's just them standing in the background of a scene. Uh, sure. I love. Well, how, okay. So let me ask you this: How do you feel about their sort of plot importance, like towards the end of the season, with like Andy's fireman vision and the fact that Lucy is the one to shoot Mister C? So Andy being the one to see the fireman and get that experience, I think, is like interesting and good. Uh, like, I think it like goes back to that character having like an innate goodness and nobility that a lot, like uh, a lot, like Sheriff Truman couldn't have done that like either sheriff truman's but i'm specifically speaking of the original harry truman where like he was so tied up in josie's weird bullshit romance subplot that he would God, not have been that go- was awful. he would not have been good enough to go into that yeah. other world and see those things and interact with the fireman but andy can because andy's a good human being um but they don't actually give him anything to do after that they don't make what he did right. important aside from oh he got out Nito and that turned out to be diane and hooray um it is like a machination of a plot more than it is relevant to his character. And I find that disappointing. I would have liked more set up in like what his vision was and how he worried about it and what it meant for him and Lucy before it all went down. But uh, weirdly, as much as the show was like, it was going to be nine episodes and now it's 18. uh, A lot of stuff just feels like really rushed in the back half. Yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there is like cut content or also what possibly a nine hour version of this could have looked like. I have no idea. I mean, there'd have to be entire Maybe. arcs excised. Yeah. It'd have to be like, yeah, Dougie no, hundred percent. And Mr. Yeah. C and that's kind of it. Um, which would be a bummer. Cause there's so much like little, I love all like the small stories. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Jacoby's whole thing with, with, uh, oh my God. all of that. Like n- none of that would have been in a shorter version of the show because it doesn't connect back to the main plot, but it doesn't have to because it's Twin Peaks and it's a, it's a world where all the small stories matter in their own little way and they all are affecting. I mean, Dr. Jacoby is the impetus for what might be the actual happiest ending in Twin Peaks. Yep. Referring to which part? Oh, we, oh, 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 with the, the Norma. Um, Norma. Yeah. 
because yeah, they wouldn't um, have gotten together if Nadine wasn't super into his like t- like libertarian bullshit uh, radio show. <laughs> you got to dig yourself out of the shit, and then there you gotta. Oh, she got her drapes. She opened her drape store. That was as someone who watched the first two seasons. Her keeps saying like, "I'm gonna open a silent drape running store," and then she does. And I'm like, "Yes, I'm so happy for her." This Not only did she open it, she named it "Run Silent, Run Drapes," which yeah. Yep. <laughs> is a lot for anyone, much less Nadine, to decide that that's going to be the name of a drape store. Also, did they forget that Nadine has like superhuman strength, or is just that not? A... So, well, she my, loses it yeah, on the finale. Yeah, my memory right? is that she lost it when she regained her memory. Yeah. Oh, I guess I haven't watched the finale in a minute. A while. Uh, I had I had the same discussion with my partner. She was like, "Nadine's super strong." Still, I'm like, I don't think that's true. Huh. Um, but yeah, there, there is like a lot of good respect for these characters, uh, uh, save for Andy and Lucy and, uh, the idea of like Truman doesn't go here Tr- Truman's not here anymore. I'm the other Truman. Uh, and, and kind of like having to acknowledge that time has passed, uh, which is why I was kind of bummed to not even get a mention of Josie because I, like, I just feel like this show had no respect for her from minute one. Um, uh, she's, she's in the knob. Thank you. <laughs> she's. <laughs> She's trapped in the knob, but like the only time we no, see her, no, no. she's the whistle in the Great Northern. Yep, I, I, I was convinced <laughs> that was going to wrap around to being a Josie thing. <laughs> oh, oh my god, I didn't even I forgot about that. That totally could have been her. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say the only time we saw her in this show was in part eighteen, where we get uh, we just get another scene from original Twin Peaks. Replay. Right. <laughs> nope, that's not gonna be it. She's the whistle in the knob. <laughs> okay, I'll, okay. Um, God, what else? I feel like I had like ten points, but then we went so fast, and I'm 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 floored. <laughs> I don't know where to go back to. Uh, we well, we were talking about the length episode or like the length of the season earlier, and like I think going back to Jacoby, like the buildup to what Jacoby's whole deal is with the shovels is probably like the best sort of test case for why this season had to be so long. Like that slow build up with the shovels and he's painting the shovels and all of a sudden he's on a fucking, uh, you know, his internet show doing his thing. That was an incredible. The first shot payoff. of this new season is a man in the forest painting shovels. You're like, all right. Twi- no, 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 no. He, 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 he walks receives out the of shovels. His, he walks, he receives, the, he receives the shovels. He walks out of his trailer. He's wearing another pair of glasses over his 3D glasses <laughs> and he takes them off. And that's how you know it's Dr. Jacoby. He does not paint the shovels incredible. for a long time after he receives them. Yeah. It takes for, it takes him a while to paint the shovels. Oh man. I, was that not in the first episode though? No. Oh my God. I guess I just. He gets the shovels, but he doesn't paint them. He yes. might paint okay. them in episode two. Uh, yeah maybe but just yeah putting that into focus so early on and then the slow drip feed of of where it ended up going was really satisfying and even just like the uh there's that scene in episode seven i think where gordon and albert and tamara go and confront uh bad cooper uh, and he says the the backwards. He says very backwards, like you're yep. yep, very yep. good to meet you. And then you're like, okay, that's weird. That's a little cool Easter egg that they probably won't address. And then they address it in like three episodes later. Yeah, uh, yep. which was really cool. I know there's been a lot of discussion of this as 
like the show being perhaps like edited and structured in a way that it's mostly meant to be watched all in one go. And I don't know if I'll ever do that, but I kind of feel that looking at it so much of everything in the show defies conventional pacing where they just right. won't have major characters for an entire episode because there's mm-hmm. too much other stuff going on. And I think if I could ever muster the will to sit for 18 hours and project myself to this adventure once again, uh, I think in some, like a lot of ways, a lot of the weird up and down roller coaster will be leveled out by just the breadth of the world being explored. Um, right. More, more I, than the any, one character. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. Okay. More than anything, uh, doing that will. Sorry, well, I'm going. <laughs> one of us go. needs to actually go, so it's gonna be you. Uh, more than anything, um, I think watching it in 18-hour chunk will make it so the scenes that don't actually pan out to anything, you'll just forget about them. You're going to go, oh, this is not important. I don't need to care about this. Whereas when I was watching it week to week, I was like, I don't know what's worth caring about. This is all happening so fast, and and then this is all I get for the week. So I also feel like, so I also feel like the time that you do spend with those characters is like a little, you know, it's not like an quote-unquote important but it sets the tone for like what twin peaks is and i feel like you know knowing that it ultimately doesn't go anywhere it sort of would have probably you know let's let's just sit in it a little bit more and not you're not worried about like uh what's going to happen next with this character you're just sort of sitting in that moment yeah, uh, knowing that the, like, vignettes of characters don't matter or that, like, the Audrey stuff doesn't tie into the main plot at all, I think <laughs> makes those moments special in their own way. Like, it mm. is it is David Lynch, like, spewing forth, like, dozens of short films about the world of Twin Peaks within the structure of what is Cooper doing getting out of the Black Lodge. How does that happen? How does he confront Bob? And that those things can sit within the bigger frame and be interesting and evocative in their own way. I think I think that's important and good to do with something like Twin Peaks. Like Twin Peaks feels so much the world feels so much bigger after season three, uh, and still all of a type in a way that it did not as it was closing out a season two where Twin Peaks felt very mm-hmm. small. And part of that is because season two was mostly mishandled and a lot of things were packed too tightly into like this weird condensed garbage pile. Um, But uh, the ways in which the season three just lets threads dangle forever and never seems interested in actually wrapping them up is nice. I I like in Mm -hmm. the ways in which that works. Uh, It feels like I said of a kind with the kind of stuff that's in firewalk with me. Cause firewalk with me is like just dead, like open-ended questions that never get any answers all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and going back to like the 18 hour movie thing uh, and like characters not showing up like there is an episode of this show where Kyle McLaughlin's characters don't show up at all. So they inserted a character. Uh, they inserted like a minute scene of Dougie getting hit by a baseball. <laughs> and that's it. I remember really like that McLaughlin. That's a good it's episode. a great episode. Yeah. No, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying <laughs> just so Kyle McLaughlin is credited. He gets hit by a baseball and then. The way that they structure it, like, the scene that happens before, like, the main plot or anything. So it's just, like, a, a scene that's just there. And it's really good. It's a moment at a time, basically. Yeah. Mm. I have, like, a concluding thought about what Twin Peaks means to me and how the return furthered that love. But I don't want to just, like, thought toss it in here. But I keep thinking about it. Because David Lynch, um, like, I've only I've only started enjoying the works of him in the last like five or six years i'd say uh and i haven't watched a lot of stuff but what i have watched i think twin peaks the return feels like a really great continuation of like his talent 
and his ability to depict surrealism and strangeness and this like specific brand of comedy that no other director has dared to to attempt and then like the contrast between him and and mark frost's desire to like make this really complex lore show is uh again something that's like very special and i guess like showtime i don't know how they they greenlit so much of this show i don't know how this all got passed because it had the twin peaks name on it it was twin peaks people were gonna watch it (laughs) it's incredible that that happened. I mean, yeah. how many how many Ray Donovan ads were you served watching Twin Peaks? And it's like, <laughs> oh god, like how how is this how is this network still alive if this is the thing they're trying to pitch me? Yeah, Showtime is is it, but yeah, Showtime is a network looking for a show to call their like their baby, and they got Twin Peaks for eighteen weeks, and now we're all canceling our Showtime subscription. Sorry, like I'm not canceling until I get that Blu-ray. Uh, I think I think my partner is also yeah. going to do that because she keeps like saying I want to rewatch them and I'm like I can't I can't do that I can't I, maybe someday but I'm I'm exhausted I don't think I don't know if I'll ever be ready <laughs> to go back to Twin Peaks. <laughs> do you ever rewatch the original series? No, I watched. So I had like a really halting time trying to get into Twin Peaks when I first tried to watch it a couple years ago, where I'd like watch the first two episodes and then bounce and then watch like four episodes and then bounce. And then I didn't really get going until uh, the Twin Peaks or the Idle Thumbs Twin Peaks rewatch podcast, Mm -hmm. which was a good excuse to like sit down and actually watch the show. Um, And that is what got me through it and got me excited for season three. And I've been listening to that along with the show. And it's it's been a great time. Uh, I don't really watch like modern TV as it airs much. So I probably would have waited for the show to be over if not for a podcast to follow and my partner being into it and turning it into an event yeah. that we can share um but also like i don't know if i'll ever want to watch firewalk with me again i think it's a beautiful film but uh-huh. I, like yeah it depressed me for weeks and i don't want to subject myself to that again <laughs> yeah it's a tough one it's probably my favorite movie but <laughs> it's not like a hey let's watch a movie together this is the pressing movie about abuse that I connect to in a really like intimate way. Probably not one to watch while you're hanging out with folks. Yeah, no, just have it on in the background of a party. It's fine. Oh, oh, yeah. I don't want to be. I actually, I want to be at that party. <laughs> I looped around as I thought about it. Um, yeah, I I watched all of it along with you, with everyone, with Twin Peaks rewatch. Um, before that, I had tried watching the pilot, but the pilot's really long, and I was like. I don't know, 17 when I first tried watching it. And I was like, this is dumb. I don't get it. This is confusing. There's too many plots. Yeah. And then uh, came back to it and was immediately locked into it to the end. And I ended up watching Firewalk with me <laughs> as part of a sleepover. Uh, so it was like two in the morning and my friend and oh, I. Right. I forgot. I forgot about this. Yeah. yeah. We, we were watching it every week with the podcast. And then it was like, all right, now it's time for Firewalk with me. Let's like hang out. We'll have a couple beers and watch. Oh, Oh no! <laughs> and then we yeah, did not I, sleep that night. I felt like actually physically sick after watching Firewalk yep. with me. Yep, hundred percent. It's uh, and I in some ways I kind of appreciate that the return never made me feel that terrible. Um, I don't know. That kid got ran over pretty bad. That none of none of that because the context is so different in how it's presented. None of that bothered me. Uh, because sure. the thing the thing with Firewalk with me isn't that the content is like explicitly awful like i watch a lot of movies about bad shit i used to like seek them out as like a oh i watched the i watched the tough movies you know because i used to be a shitty boy on the internet you know um 
nothing about the content of Fire Alchemy is bad. It is the context and the ways in which it provides you Laura's interiority that just uh, like becomes the most oppressive, terrible thing that can happen. Because to someone who it's happening to, it is the most oppressive, terrible thing that can happen. Uh, it makes it real in a way that like that kid being run over and then his like ghost flying up to heaven is just not. <laughs> sure. Sure. I guess I guess I meant like pure shock value that scene caught me off guard. But I, I yeah. agree I agree with you. Like yeah, definitely not comparable in that way. There's moments of physical violence in their turn all over the place. Like the the arm wrestling scene made me made my stomach churn, but in kind of like a satisfying way. Um just cuz like when you think about what what's going on like anatomically with two people's muscles being slammed against each other and then one's holding the other one in place and he can drop his arm whenever he wants like that that made me feel a little sick but it's a completely different sick from like you said the vibe and the terribleness of firewalk with me's like implications um uh i am stunned that we did not get a scene of freddy and bad coop punching each other like the end of the matrix <laughs> <laughs> like in the air in the in the rain yep. in slow motion yeah yeah uh, Freddy, well, because Freddy was introduced like last, it felt like pretty last minute he became a character. Well, he's in the first episode, and yep. then he doesn't show up until like what episode, what fourteen, fifteen? Yeah, something like that. And he just has his backstory dump, and then the next he has like a couple of scenes in the jail, and then that's it. Now his destiny is to kill Bob, I guess. And I think, I think to have the reveal of the fireman's name, and also Freddy just calling him a bloke within the same episode is great. It was a great choice. Uh, that character is uh, like stepped out of my dreams of Twin Peaks as a cartoon. I love like he he might as yep. well just be Dick Tremaine incarnate. Like I'm so happy that a character that goofy is here in the show. Yep, pretty totally. sure that actor is not even British, and that's just a fun actor. No, so he is. No, he I mean, is. The, the the wild story of that is that uh, David Lynch picked him because he's one of those people who just did like. I can do a bunch of accents videos on YouTube where he was just doing accents. And David Lynch apparently saw that video and liked that kid and hired him to be in his show. <laughs> like a key essential member of his show. No. Hell. <laughs> he Hell. killed Bob. Like. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, There's a lot. There is a good humor. And just like it's mostly the stuff surrounding Dougie. But like, what is your favorite? funny moments of the season uh the uh mitchum brothers cherry pie scene is probably oh. one of the funniest things um dougie narrowly being pre like preventing getting poisoned and then that guy immediately folds and turns into a sweaty apologetic mess <laughs> is also really hot <laughs> And I love the scene afterwards too, where they. It's one of those things where they like play into Dougie repeating everything. So he's just like, "Yes, explain it." Oh, the actual, <laughs> the hardest I laughed at this entire show was when uh, they call the uh, uh, the Las Vegas FBI branch, and it's like, "We need to find a Dougie Jones." And so he, the, yes. the FBI guy goes yes. to his like, he's like, "Find Dougie Jones." He's like, "How are we supposed to do that?" He slams the table. He's like, "We'll see." Just the like incoherent fury of this idiot asking him how to find someone when he they're both in the FBI is so good. 
<laughs> zero to screaming. That's another guy from Mad Men that I was like, oh, hey, it's Stan. Oh, my God. He's just yelling. Um, <laughs> it's so out of left field. Uh, I think yeah. uh, for me, m- most like smile slash laughing scene was Janie in the playground being confronted by the Mitchum brothers who are like trying to strong arm her. And uh, or was it not? It wasn't no, the, it's not the Mitchum no, brothers. Them, right? It was just uh, like two other random dudes. Just two yeah. And she's just yeah. like, no, I know I did depict. I <laughs> dictate how this works. You don't tell me how to pay money. And then they just leave. They're like, um, <laughs> I guess. OK, I don't. Like, I don't know how to handle this because yeah. Jeannie is um, just such a out of like a character that doesn't act to type a lot of times, which I really like. The one of the act like it's actually really affecting, but is also hilarious in the moment is uh, when uh, Tammy interviews what's that pr- uh, Bill Hastings, and yeah, he is just right. a blubbering yes. mess about his like yes. space blog. That was <laughs> such a good scene. Yeah, and the fact that they like. I mean, it's a promotional site, but the fact that they made that blog is great. Yeah. But his, like, his confusion as she's asking questions about the zone as he's, like, wanted for murder and has just been in jail for weeks is so good. Yeah. I'm so sad that his brain exploded, like, an episode later. He's dead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, where did he go? He totally got his brain exploded by one of the men, the invisible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that scene was weird. That scene was great too, because it, like, to me, says this funny thing. Okay, no, that scene was hilarious as well because it's like yeah. Gordon Cole walks up to the portal yep. and like his hands start to wave around like out of his control, and then it cuts away to like what everybody else sees, and it's just like this deadpan, like quiet, and it's like arms are just waving around. Well, like the best part of that is it shows him seeing the vortex, and then. Uh, um, Albert right behind him is like not quite in the, the space so he just sees like a weird shimmer so you're like oh like the closer you get the more you're gonna see and then it cuts all the way back to uh, Diane smoking on the car and all she sees is him waving his arms in the air <laughs> yep is that also the scene where Gordon Cole just looks at him and goes he's dead yep <laughs> yep Gordon Cole is low-key the best. Every Coleism is my favorite, and there's so many of them. I had another Monica Bellucci dream. And they actually used the famous French actress Monica Bellucci (laughs) to be on the show. Dougie Cooper? How the hell did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, Gordon Cole is really good. And yeah, it's great. Uh, Low... Maybe low-key one of the best jokes is uh, Sheriff Truman looking at pictures of fish in that scene. Yes, okay, nobody, everybody talks about how sad the log lady scene, and, and it is, I cried a lot. But also, Sheriff Truman in that scene is literally just looking at fish in his dark-ass room. Why is he looking at fish on his laptop in his dark room at night? And they walk They walk in, and he, he takes him a while to look up from looking at a picture of a fish to address them. <laughs> Like you should be at home. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. With Sheriff Truman's wife, who inexplicably like super hates him a lot. <laughs> that stuff was bad. Yeah. Nope. That was definitely the like you don't like. What's your deal with women? Why she's just like an angry, loud person with no develop, no character other than that. Yep. There's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of weird like dead ends uh, in the backstory of Twin Peaks. People, it's really it's really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, just everything involved in the log lady was probably like 
was just so heartbreaking and like really brave of that actress to do all that stuff. Yep. That stuff was incredible. Yeah, no, that stuff is really heartrending to see as like oh, as it goes on and becomes like a grappling with this within the show. Uh, what's interesting to me is the ways in which that exists, but also Albert is so much in that show. Just yes, and none of yeah. like he's just a character in the show, and then knowing that actor died shortly thereafter, like the two things mm-hmm. up against each other is such a weird friction of reality. Uh, and the world of the show. I do love that every show that featured someone who had died had that homage. Yeah. And some of them, like Jack Nance, who died like ages and ages yes. ago, got his in episode seven, er, 17 yep. or 18. It's so good. He got to go fishing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that one was heartbreaking for me. The log lady was like, you know, you, I've known this is coming since she was first brought onto the show again. I was like, oh, this actress is no longer with us. But like, you don't think you're going to see Jack Nance again because like he's been gone for so long. And then he gets that final moment of closure where he does get to go fishing. And it's like, ah, oh, there's just something that, like, it hurts. Everything about that alternate dimension and the ways that it connected to uh, what we know about Twin Peaks and where our the show went uh, was really, really powerful and, like, like actually hurt me. And I had to, like, sit and think about it for a while. Because um, I know, like, David Lynch was really good personal friends with Jack Nance. Like, they did a documentary, uh, actually, about the two of them and how they grew up, like, acting together and working together. And... So like seeing these these old characters come back and and even like Hawk, um, having all the phone calls with Catherine and her talking about his heritage and saying like, you know, time changes and and we're gonna move on. But ugh, it was just all of that stuff. <laughs> Every moment of that, I'm yeah. such a sucker for like final words scenes, basically. Yeah, no, I cried a lot after that log lady scene. It was a lot. <laughs> oh, did you do you think that they dealt they handled Hawk well this season? Uh, I mean, as good as Hawk has ever handled, that is a that is a yeah. role that is built entirely around the actor being great and working mm. with material that does not care uh, one way yeah. or another. Uh, like, I think the season, the Hawk stuff is written better in that his interactions with the people are more nuanced and like the heritage thing feels almost like a reference to the ways in which Hawk was treated in seasons one and two. But uh, I don't think he's ever been, like, an exceptionally well-written character. It is just the actor who plays it all off. Uh, Hawk is Hawk is great, but only because the acting is good. I mean, that's true of a lot of Twin Peaks, I feel like. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that was the same thing with Audrey, too, where I was just like, this is great because I love, I love seeing Sherilyn Fenn act. Um, but I don't... I think, the, I think the Audrey thing is amazing. Yeah. I think, I think it's like kind of mean-spirited for Lynch to do to people, mm-hmm. but I don't dislike it in, like, it is the most, you want the fan service, you are going to get it in the most monkey's paw way possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it doesn't even end the way that, that that story would normally go, which is she wakes up, like, in a hospital or something, or she's in a coma, and then she's like, where am I? It's just she wakes up in a white room, but she's not awake. <laughs> There's no, like, Happy, happy bow tied onto the end of the Audrey stuff. It's just like, hey, here's... season four, hashtag season four. It baffles <laughs> me that people watched the end of that show and are expecting it definitely at season four. Oh, sure. The answers are only around the bend if we get another season. That, sure, it'll all be tied up at that <laughs> exactly, point. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm like, what do you do? You think like the next step? Someone said like, oh, I can't wait for the next episode to be like Cooper and Laura like trying to fix things. And I'm like, that's not what it's. You, why do you want that? You already know what's gonna happen. Why do you need to see it? Like what's what are you gonna get out of getting more answers from this? What is satisfying about that? 
Which, again, is why I think that the episode 18 being the real ending is why it's good. And why I love that. I feel like the return went out on a, on its best foot. Uh, it yeah, doesn't no. need another. It does not need another season. I would be. I would be. I would be glad if it does, only because yeah, you get more if Lynch. They, yeah. If they want to make a new one, I will totally watch it. But as an ending to Twin Peaks, I'm pretty happy yes. with it. Yeah. And I. I go in knowing I will get another ending like this one if I get another season. <laughs> like it's fine. Right. It's what Twin Twin Peaks has always ended with more questions than answers. Every season of Twin Peaks has been that. Uh, you get you think you get the answers you want and you don't you don't you you're yeah. left with so many more questions and the answers you get are unsatisfying and the world is still turning in a very dark way and you don't know how to handle any of it that's twin peaks yeah <laughs> though like if we're still on my ending stuff like the so part of 17 i felt like at times i was watching like the season two finale with like you know, the every they wrap things up, they kill Bob, but then like Cooper's face is like superimposed on that scene towards the end of it, and then they go in that that convenience store scene. Both of those scenes are incredible. The way they walk down the hall and sort of like the forest like dissolves up like on the scene. That stuff is great. Um, if we're talking about like a cool atmospheric Twin Peaks, like that stuff was probably it's up there for me. Um, but then yeah, I've convenience store like all that stuff felt very like season two like okay i'm like i'm going on the ride for this and then and then like part 18 is like existential nightmare that i didn't know anything could do to me uh Uh, ryan did you want to try tackling some of those questions sure (laughs) what do you you want to try to do okay let's solve the end of twin peaks right here all right so it's all about uh, <laughs> there's no answer. I don't want an answer. I don't want to come up with a joke answer either. <laughs> like I can't. So the thing, yeah. the thing I think about is in the secret history of Twin Peaks, which we brought up a couple times. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a line that's in the, be- I think it's in the beginning of the book, and I think it's repeated at the end of the book. That's kind of like the thesis that there's a difference between mysteries and secrets. And humans can have secrets, and that is like a lack of information. And you can learn those and manipulate people with them, and it can be solved. But mysteries are bigger than people. They're like an elemental force, and you can try to shine a light on them and understand them, but you can never like own them the same way you can a secret. And I feel like when I look at Twin Peaks, that's what I feel like. It is people grappling with a, like a like an other in a spiritual way that is not like coached in religious terms. Though sometimes Mark Frost in his worst uh, impulses tries to tie it into a bunch of like native mysticism and it, uh, yeah. but what it actually is, is like the incompatibility of humanity to understand like a spiritual realm or something greater than itself. Like trying to find the words and metaphors to tackle something bigger than people and how much that falls apart instantly. Like you, Cooper wakes up and he's 100% and 100% isn't enough to solve the problem of Twin Peaks because the problem of Twin Peaks is like eternal and bigger than any human. It's like Eldritch almost. It's some uh, Lovecraft without the racism. Well, (laughs) well, (laughs) basically my, my thing is that and why this show was ultimately satisfying to me as a continuation was. I read an interview with David Lynch a really long time ago, and I I cannot for life me remember where it was sourced from, but he basically said that the sort of key thesis of a lot of the work he's done, especially with Twin Peaks um, and stuff like Mulholland Drive that's about like just individual characters, is when he was younger, he lived in 
in small town, in, in a really small town similar to Twin Peaks for a lot of his youth. And he saw things and met people that he couldn't fathom existing. And he, he like knew that they were there and every day he would see them and they would do these weird out of character things that just didn't fit into any sort of narrative or logic. And he never saw anyone write stories about that, that feeling of like, I'm seeing something and it's featuring elements of the world that I know, but I'm in a, in a pattern and in a configuration that I don't and that my brain can't process. And I think that that is the most like thing that I love about David Lynch is that like he's he's doing that where no one else is. And he's, he's depicting uh, the surreal in the traditional sense that I just I can't. It's like incredibly satisfying to see that stuff because it's so of his style. Uh, and he, he, he's kept it up all through all these years. He hasn't changed. He hasn't gotten significantly worse at that specific thing. He's gotten worse at other things. But to the very last show that he's done, he's still handling, making it feel like, what am I even looking at? What am I seeing? And why is it there? And that's why I love David Lynch. Yeah, I mean, even like stuff like the old man in the season two, like, uh pilot or premiere or whatever and he, he's going to cooper's apartment and like is just the thumbs up guy bl- blind to the blind to the fact that like cooper has been shot and is on the ground and is dying and is just like i brought some milk for you i hung up the phone for you <laughs> just like i know people who are just like take their time with stuff and just like not realize like Either they don't realize the importance of some sort of situation or just they sort of just let a moment like sit. And that's what I think David Lynch does that really well is just letting things sit in a way that feels really human. So when it does go surreal, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like sometimes it does feel like I'm not expecting it. But for the most part, like it feels deeply human in the stuff that he wants to depict. Yeah, gosh, what a trip. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to say about Twin Peaks? There's a lot. There's a lot more we can say about this ridiculous show. There will never not be things to say about Twin Peaks. <laughs> That's true. No, no. There's a billion. There's a reason why there's a billion Twin Peaks podcasts. <laughs> so people want to talk about the show forever, which is fine. You want to move on to the questions then? Alan, I sent you some questions. Do you want to read want to read them? Sure. Um, this first one comes in from at Personal Corpse uh, on Twitter, who says, um, how do you feel about supplementary material for fiction, and what expectations do you have for Twin Peaks, the final dossier? Which is the follow-up to the other. Yep. Um, and you want me to do the second one also, or do you want to tackle that first? No, let's just yeah, let's yeah. tackle this first one first. Uh, Em, you recently read the Secret History book. What do you, how did you feel about that? So, I want to state, as someone with a Star Trek book called Podcast, I think ancillary <laughs> material is mostly garbage and should not be bothered with. Even though, <laughs> if you love a thing enough, nothing will stop you. That's that's the actual right. truth. Uh, but if it was good enough to be the main thing, they would have put it in the main thing. That's generally true. Yeah. Um, uh so tie and stuff is always you're dealing with like a lesser grade of material and you can find good in it um the secret history of twin peaks is a weird mess 
full of Mark Frost's obsessions with UFOs and government conspiracies <laughs> and tying everything into complex knots. It is just the Zodiac board as a book. <laughs> And it's kind of obnoxious. And the things it's it does about like Josie as a character, um, specifically, but and like the way it treats Nadine, like mostly the women in that book are really poorly handled and considered. Mm. And I hate it. But also, like Roswell was doing experiments with uh, like perhaps <laughs> the Black Lodge, and then uh richard nixon built like a box to see the experiment and he saw the experiment decades ago (laughs) and uh also like um the log lady's like uh eulogy at like given at whose funeral was it exactly was it dougie's because the book was towards the end of the book is uh, uh, the log lady giving a eulogy at a funeral everyone attends and Mm -hmm. it is like a it is basically like a summation of the impossibility of like reaching of using the past to like solve the problems of the present it's very much like david lynch uh like uh you know meditation philosophy as a thing and it's really beautiful and really good and uh, there's there's an explanation of Ed and Norma that makes sense for why those characters are in the way they are in Twin Peaks that I think is actually really good. And it mostly have to do with yep. Hank being a giant asshole because fuck Hank. Um, <laughs> yep. The, the book is oh. such a roller coaster and so much of it is bad. But I really do think that if you're willing to suffer through it, um, there's good stuff there. You just have to know that you are wading through a lot of garbage also. <laughs> yep. I agree. Uh, there, there are there are some ridiculous like, <laughs> yep, all of that, all the UFO stuff, uh, all of the freaking dumb Native American stuff was really ridiculous, and I didn't know if I don't know if I needed to spend that much time that reading book, it. That but book opens with excerpts from the Journal of Lewis and Clark where they are given the lodge yep. ring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. What? Yeah. What do they do with it? Do they go into the lodge? No, they're given to it. They're given it by natives who live in the area, and then they go on to live successful lives. But maybe they were assassinated by the like by Freemasons to get the ring. <laughs> right, there's all Freemason plot too. <laughs> oh, almighty. Uh, to answer the question, I think in general, yeah, supplementary material can fill in blanks that you didn't even know you wanted filled in. But more often than not, I always prefer this sort of like economic. Tell me as little as you need to storytelling. And stuff like the the secret history of Twin Peaks, it doesn't need to exist, but the fact that it exists makes somebody really happy, and I can't fault it for that. Mark Frost got to do that and have it in his corner, and it's canon and whatever. And then in terms of the final dossier, yeah, I think it's like we said. I don't know. Is it so? The, here's the thing about the secret history, right? Is that he wrote Tamara Preston, Tammy Preston, as a character that was kind of like Cooper, but in a different way. Like, she was into, she wrote about movie references, all this shit. Uh, and she, like, is in the show, and she's, like, nothing like that. Also, she, like, comes across documents about the Blue Rose shit, and which makes no sense because explain it in the show, they explain it to her in the show. So if the show takes place before, or, yeah, if the show takes place, like, after, what the fuck am I trying to say? If the book takes place before the show, she would already know about Blue Rose. If the book takes place after the show, then she would already fucking know all of this shit. 
Either way, it makes no sense. So I don't understand. But, but also, <laughs> I don't understand the whole Tamara But also, like, all. so much of the stuff that's in, like, episode 8 of Twin Peaks comes out of this book. Yes. Like, the book is interesting in that, like, it very much feels like... Like, it feels like they stole liberally from it for writing the series, but also whenever David Lynch could just be like, no, that idea is stupid, let's do something else, he did. And I appreciate that. Uh, And so you have to read it as, like, a thing that is, like, like a nebulous canon. Uh, But, like, Twin Peaks is already littered with nebulous canon. Like, is the Missing Pieces canon? Kind of? Sometimes? Maybe? Sometimes, Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, that's okay. Um... Mm-hmm. whether or not you want to like engage with it yourself like that has to be a question you answer for yourself like how much do you care about dumb minutia twin peaks that's probably badly written right um i am super excited for the final dossier uh yep. i Me assume too. it is uh tammy preston putting together uh what the hell is going on with twin peaks after the show ends sure uh that's sure. what i would do if like in that spirit so you'll probably get the answers to billy and all the dumb bullshit that you really don't need answers to but uh you will never get the answers to cooper because how could anyone know yeah also that book sets up does a good job of setting up like that major break stuff sort of plants that seed in a way that i probably wouldn't get if i just rewatched twin peaks like that, back, the back half of the book where like Major Briggs gives this like huge monologue about his mission as a like Blue Rose operative, uh, sort of establishes that stuff. I thought that stuff was pretty good. Anyway, Alan, I felt like we interrupted you at some point. Oh, it's fine. I have way less to say about Twin Peaks than anyone on this podcast. <laughs> I'm agreeing with everything. Um, mm-hmm. we have a, we got a second question. Uh, okay. Yep. This is actually from our previous guest on the podcast. It's Jennifer Uncle uh, at JBU3 on Twitter. Um, and she asks or says, uh, many discussions around the show orbit around Lynch, attributing its successes and sins to him. Does his persona hurt close analysis? Uh, and I will start by saying kinda. <laughs> um, I think more than almost any other director, people and writer, people tend to attribute so much of what Twin Peaks is to Lynch. And we've been doing that on the show, obviously. And Twin Peaks is, of course, the work of a ton of people uh, and a ton of minds collaborating. But uh, it's just easier shorthand to refer to it as being the product of a single individual. Um, but I don't think that's good for like what TV actually is in this modern day and age. Is no one person makes a TV show that is impossible, unfathomable, and not true. Um, so I do think, in a way, it kind of hurts the way that people talk about the show is that we refer to it as a Lynch show. Uh, I think, so it's impossible to escape the term Lynchian when discussing David Lynch, uh, because it's become such a shorthand. And I think that's okay. As long as the discussion starts there and doesn't end there. Uh, so much what you can talk about with Twin Peaks is valuable and interesting when considered as just a work that is saying things. And, to use Lynchian as like a dismissal of things because they are surreal or because, oh, all Lynch things are about Americana in X way. Uh, Even if that's true, that can't be the totality of your discussion about a thing. Like you can say David Lynch work is about Americana and Twin Peaks is about it in way X. And that's where you can begin and start talking about that stuff. Um, And I think to, to remember that with not just Lynch, but with any artist, uh, their work it has like needs to be internally consistent and your critiques about it are better served being internally consistent. Unless I, of course you're writing a paper about like auteur theory or something, in which case go nuts, do all the bullshit you want. Uh, but 
Twin Peaks is such a good show in that it does with like uphold itself internally. Uh, to discount that in favor of talking about, oh, the, this is what Lynch does in every one of his shows, I think discounts a lot of the work being done to make sure the Twin Peaks can be weird as hell and often very hard to understand, but never seems to violate its own interior logic. And it's like as right. much as we can understand it. Um, and that can be argued. Maybe some people don't feel that way, but I definitely feel that's true. And um, my arguments about the show's worth kind of fall out from that. Uh, and th that, like, that's fine as a place to start. Um, but you can't let that dominate how you regard a thing. Lynch or not, anybody's work. Uh, right. And that's been a point of frustration when people talk about the show as like, oh, I can't believe Lynch did this or Lynch did that. And it's like, there's two writers on the show, just so you know. <laughs> like, it isn't just all Lynch, like, writing this material. And that, like, listening to other podcasts that sort of center Lynch on, like, you know, the Dr. Jacoby stuff. And it's like, no, like, Mark Frost, like, clearly, you know, wrote a ton of that shit. Like, uh, so, like, hearing people, like, acting like Twin Peaks is just David Lynch has been the point of frustration for me for a little bit. And especially because so much of what makes Twin Peaks good is its performances and the work done by the actors. Like Kyle MacLachlan carries, what is it? Four characters on his back throughout this season. Yeah. And I mean, even fire walk would be, would be nothing without, Cheryl uh, Cheryl and Finn. Yeah. Or is that Cheryl and Finn is Audrey. Cheryl Lee is, uh, Shirley. Yes, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's the work of a lot of people, but I think the difference between the way people talk about Lynchian stuff and the way people talk about, um, and I can't really think of another example right now, but like when we talk about what makes Lynch, we're talking about like what he makes and not what, how he, what the stuff he makes says about him as a person. Nobody's trying to like define who David Lynch is in his personal life, but I know plenty of people when they talk about say like an indie game, they say like, Oh, this game talks about like this, the creators, like, uh, problems with mental health or like the way that they, their economic situation. Like we don't when we talk about Lynch as an auteur, talk about who he is. It's more about like he's, his work is the, is the caricature for better or for worse. I think that hits pretty much everything that we wanted to hit. Yeah. I mean, are we, are we, are we finished with the twin peaks talk for now, for now, <laughs> for now, <laughs> for now, there's always going to be stuff to pick apart and interpret and stuff like that. But in the context of one single podcast, I think that was a good place to stop. Uh, so let's move on to some plugs. M, we share a podcast network. Uh, plug some of the shows on the network. Okay, uh, we're all part of Abnormal Mapping, which is the podcast network launched by Abnormal Mapping, the video game podcast me and Jackson Tyler do every month. Uh, you can find that at thebestgame.club. Uh, we cover games that are usually old games, so please go and check out our backlog and find a game you like and uh, enjoy that. Me and Jackson also have a Star Trek book club. If you want to hear us talk about the deep lore of Star Trek, uh, you can do that at startrekpodcast.space. We are about to start... Uh, well, I guess in a couple weeks, if you're jonging for a new show after Twin Peaks, Star Trek Discovery starts at the end of this month, and we'll be doing episode Ooh. recaps of that as it goes up. Um, that'll be a great time. Uh, Jackson and our friend Molly Reinbeck, uh, do a podcast about the lore of the band Coheed and Cambria. This is a very bad band, but the podcast is very funny. I love it a lot. Despite the fact I hate Thank every you. song they've ever covered, uh, you can find that at ineedmayo.com and Jackson and Destiny have a podcast called Goof Zone at goof.zones about mental health. It's kind of on a hiatus right now, but it will hopefully be coming back shortly. Um, 
And uh, I'm on YouTube doing Let's Plays. I will be doing Gabriel Knight uh, by the time this goes up, probably. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. The Patreon for all of these things uh, to support the shows is at patreon.com slash Uh And uh, you can support all of that. Uh, uh, the hosting cost that the Patreon has provided has allowed us to host Fireside Friends, for one. Um, it, yes. Which uh, has been nice to be able to do. Uh, so... That's a lot of plugs. Uh, if you support the podcast, uh, the Patreon for one dollar, you can listen to our weekly Gundam show where we talk about yeah. Gundam. Yep, I was about to jump in and say that, but I almost it. forgot about that one. Yeah, no, the Great Gundam <laughs> Project. We talk about two episodes of Gundam. We're gonna. It's it's mostly just started. We're like two episodes in, but we're gonna continue forever until Gundam is over, <laughs> or we are, or we are. That's Jackson's tagline. It's a very good tagline. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being on the show, and also thanks for hosting us on your podcast network, because this is just, has been a really, like, it's been a blast, like, being a part of this whole thing. So, yeah, no, thank you ha- for everything. Thank you for having me on to talk about this dumb show that we all love too much. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And anytime we want to come back and do another one, or talk about something else, because there's, there's more to life than Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, you're welcome back on anytime. Is, the, is, there, is, there, is there more to life than Twin Peaks? Hold on. <laughs> I mean, now that you mentioned Discovery, and I'm now wondering how I can. You have to have CBS, like a CBS subscription, to watch that, right? Uh, in this country, yes, yes, you do. If you live outside oh. the United States, it is going to be aired on Netflix. Uh, I think the day after, but yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's always the internet way to get shows, which still works yes. just fine. <laughs> yes, that's true. Thanks again. Alan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find my occasional tweets over at Alan Ibrahim. That's spelled A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. That's my name. And I'm also on another podcast. It's a weekly television discussion podcast uh, called Chats, a television podcast, C-H-A-T-Z, found wherever you listen to podcasts. Right now, we're watching Avatar The Last Airbender, and we're almost done. It's so exciting. Ryan, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at TalkDetective. I didn't mention any of the podcast plugs for this show which is bad so i'm gonna do that you can find us on itunes stitcher and google play anywhere you can find podcasts uh our url is i only say that because i recently bought it um and then our email address if you have any questions or comments is questions at firesidefriends.net and uh i think that's a podcast uh so until next time thank you all for listening good luck out there and don't forget to take care of yourself we'll see you all later bye how's annie the Roadhouse is proud to welcome James Hurd. Just you. Just you.